Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. <clears throat> Excuse me. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, published by our very fine friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read ACIMOE. <clears throat> Also on that drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to receive a daily excellent email that includes both the reading that we share on this call, Monday through Friday, as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we begin a new chapter. Chapter 6, Attack and Fear. We'll be reading Section 1, The Introduction. And uh, part of Section 2, The Message of the Crucifixion, um, your email probably ends with Paragraph 9, but um, uh, to give a really good emphasis on the message of the crucifixion as it gives it here, I'd like to read through Paragraph 18 today and we'll recover uh, Section, it doesn't matter what we recover on Monday, but will give some of this uh, two days consideration if today we read through paragraph 18. So if you have your books, that would be just really great. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 60, the last in this first review, uh, which is including Lessons 46 through 50. God is the love in which I forgive. God is the strength in which I trust. There is nothing to fear. God's voice speaks to me all through the day, and I am sustained by the love of God. So, with that as our introduction, um, had a little tiny prayer, or opening, that I'd like to uh, offer this morning in homage to the message of the crucifixion and today's lesson. It's a little piece from Rainer Maria Rilke in his book of Hours, Love Poems to God. It goes like this. God speaks to each of us because he makes us and walks with us directly out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like flame and make big shadows. I can move in. Let everything happen to you. Beauty, terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You'll know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. I am sustained by the love of God. Amen. Okay. Give me your hand. Love this. Here's our reading lesson. Thanks, Judy. I love that. I love that poem. 
Anyway, here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne, Robin Marie, Judy, Jessica, and Karen. And when we began, that was the sum of us. Who's joined us? I'd like to say good morning or be on the reading list. Hi, good morning. This is Diana. Anna can join in. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. This is Sandra, and I'll just listen. Morning, Sandra. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Larry. This is Lana, and um, I can read. Thank you, Madeira. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so here we go. A new chapter. Chapter 6, Attack and Fear, Section 1, Introduction. The relationship of anger to attack is obvious, but the inevitable association of anger and fear is not always so clear. Anger always, always involves projection of separation, which must ultimately be accepted as entirely one's own responsibility. Anger cannot occur unless you believe that you have been attacked, that the attack was unjust, and you are in no way responsible. Given these three wholly irrational premises, the equally irrational conclusion that a brother is worthy of attack rather than love follows. What can be expected from insane premises except an insane conclusion? Uh, Lemoyne. Thank you, Lori. Okay. Chapter 6, Attack and Fear, Introduction. The relationship of anger to attack is obvious, but the inevitable association of anger and fear is not always so clear. Anger always involves projection of separation, which must ultimately be accepted as entirely one's own responsibility. Anger cannot occur unless you believe that you have been attacked that the attack was unjust, and you are in no way responsible. Given these three wholly irrational premises, the equally irrational conclusion that a brother is worthy of attack rather than of love follows. What can be expected from insane premises except an insane conclusion. The way to do an insane conclusion is to consider the sanity of the premises on which it rests. You cannot be attacked. Attack has no justification, and you are responsible for what you believe. You have been asked to take me as your model for learning, since an extreme example is a particularly helpful learning device. Everyone teaches and teaches all the time. This is a responsibility which he inevitably assumes the moment he accepts any premise at all. And no one can organize his life without any thought system. 
Once he has developed a thought system of any kind, he lives by it and teaches it. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Robin Marie. Two, the way to undo an insane conclusion is to consider the sanity of the premises on which it rests. You cannot be attacked. Attack has no justification. And you are responsible for what you believe. You have been asked to take me as your model for learning, since an extreme example is a particularly helpful learning device. Everyone teaches and teaches all the time. This is a responsibility which he inevitably assumes the moment he accepts any premise at all, and no one can organize his life without any thought system once he has developed a thought system of any kind. He lives by it and teaches it. Three, you have been chosen to teach the atonement precisely because you have been extreme examples of allegiance to your thought systems and therefore have developed the capacity, the capacity for allegiance. It has indeed been misplaced, but it is a form of faith which you yourselves have been willing to redirect. You cannot doubt the strength of your devotion when you consider how faithfully you have observed it. It was quite evident that you had already developed the ability to follow a better model if you could accept it. Thank you, Robin Marie um, and Judy. I thank you, Lori. This makes me laugh. Um, this first line: <laughs> You have been chosen to teach the atonement precisely because you have been extreme examples of allegiance to your thought systems. All of us egomaniacs, I guess, and there. <laughs> and therefore have developed the capacity for allegiance. It has indeed been misplaced. But it is a form of faith which you yourselves have been willing to redirect. You cannot doubt the strength of your devotion when you consider how faithfully you have observed it. It was quite evident that you had already developed the ability to follow a better model if you could accept it. Accept Christ as our model this morning. Okay, Attack in Fear, Chapter 6. And the second, the message of the crucifixion. For teaching purposes, let us consider the crucifixion again. We have not dwelt on it before because of its fearful connotations. The only emphasis we laid upon it was that it was not a form of punishment. Nothing, however, can be really explained in negative terms only. There is a positive interpretation of the crucifixion which is wholly devoid of fear and therefore 
wholly benign in what it teaches, if it is properly understood. The crucifixion is nothing more than an extreme example. The crucifixion is nothing more than an extreme example. Its value, like the value of any teaching device, lies solely in the kind of learning it facilitates. It can be, and has been, misunderstood. This is only because the fearful are apt to perceive fearfully. Thank you, Judy. Uh, And Jessica? Uh, Paragraph 4. For teaching purposes, let us consider the crucifixion again. We have not dwelt on it before because of its fearful connotations. The only emphasis we laid upon it was that it was not a form of punishment. Nothing, however, can be really explained in negative terms only. There is a positive interpretation of the crucifixion, which is wholly devoid of fear, and therefore wholly benign in what it teaches, if it is properly understood. The crucifixion is nothing more than an extreme example. Its value, like the value of any teaching device, lies solely in the kind of learning it facilitates. It can be and has been misunderstood. This is only because the fearful are apt to perceive fearfully. Five, I have already told you that you can always call on me to share my decision and thus make it stronger. I also told you that the crucifixion was the last foolish journey that the sonship need take and that it should mean release from fear to anyone who understands it. While we emphasized only the resurrection before, the purpose of the crucifixion is how it actually led to the resurrection. Oh, and how it actually led to the resurrection was not clarified at that time. Nevertheless, it has a definite contribution to make to your own lives. And if you will consider it without fear, it will help you understand your own role as teachers. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, And Karen. Five, I have already told you that you can always call on me to share my decision and thus make it stronger. I also told you that the crucifixion was the last foolish journey that the sonship need take and that it should mean release from fear to anyone who understands it. While we emphasized only the resurrection before, the purpose of the crucifixion and how it actually led to the resurrection was not clarified at that time. Nevertheless, it has a definite contribution to make to your own lives. And if you will consider it without fear, it will help you understand your own role as teachers. Six, you have reacted for years 
as if you were being crucified. (laughs) This is a marked tendency of the separated ones who always refuse to consider what they have done to themselves. Projection means anger. Anger fosters assault, and assault promotes fear. The real meaning of the crucifixion lies in the apparent intensity of the assault of some of the sons of God upon another. This, of course, is impossible and must be fully understood as an impossibility. In fact, unless it is fully understood as only that, I cannot serve as a real model for learning. Thank you, Karen. And Diana. Yeah, good morning. Number six. You have reacted for years as if you were being crucified. This is marked. This is a marked tendency of a separated one's who have refused to consider what they have done to themselves. Projection means anger. Anger fosters assault, and assault promotes fear. The real meaning of the crucifixion lies in the apparent intensity of the assault of some of the sons of God upon another. This, of course, is impossible and must fully be understood as an impossibility. This, in fact, unless it is fully understood as only that, I cannot serve as a real model for learning. Number seven, assault can ultimately be made only on the body. There is little doubt that one body can assault another and can even destroy it. Yet, if destruction itself is impossible, then anything that is destructible cannot be real. Therefore, its destruction does not justify anger to the extent to which you believe that it does. You must be accepting false premise and teaching them to others. The message which the crucifixion was intended to teach was that it is not necessary to perceive any form of assault in persecution because you cannot be persecuted. If you respond with anger, you must be equating yourself with the destructible and are therefore regarding yourself insanely. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Um, and Lena. Okay, seven. Assault can ultimately be made only on the body. There is little doubt that one body can assault another and even destroy it. Yet, if destruction itself is impossible, then anything that is destructible cannot be real. Therefore, its destruction does not justify anger. To the extent to which you believe that it does, you must be accepting false premises 
and teaching them to others. The message which the crucifixion was intended to teach was that it is not necessary to perceive any form of assault in persecution because you cannot be persecuted. If you respond with anger, you must be equating yourself with the destructible and are therefore regarding yourself insanely. Eight, I have made it perfectly clear that I am like you and you are like me, but our fundamental equality can be demonstrated only through joint decision. You are free to perceive yourself as persecuted if you choose. You might remember, however, when you do choose to react that way, that I was persecuted as the world judges and did not share this evaluation for myself. And because I did not share it, I did not strengthen it. I therefore offered a different interpretation of attack and one which I do want to share with you. If you will believe it, you will help me to teach it. Thank you, Lana. Um, So is there a new reader at all for eight and nine? Yes, I can do that because it's here. <laughs> this is Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. I'm not sure why. Starseed, no barking. No, no. Sorry. Eight. I have made it perfectly clear that I am like you and you are like me, but our fundamental equality can be demonstrated only through joint decision. You are free to perceive yourself as persecuted if you choose. You might remember, however, when you do choose to react that way, that I was persecuted as the world judges and did not share this evaluation for myself. And because I did not share it, I did not strengthen it. I therefore offered a different interpretation of attack and one which I do want to share with you. If you will believe it, you will help me to teach it. So profound. (laughs) We have seen before, as you teach, so shall you learn. If you react as if you are persecuted, you are teaching persecution or victimhood. This is not a lesson which the sons of God should want to teach if they are to realize their own salvation. Rather, teach your own perfect immunity, which is the truth in you, and know that it cannot be assailed. Do not protect it yourselves, for you have believed that it is assailable. You are not asked to be crucified, 
which was part of my own teaching contribution. You are merely asked to follow my example in the face of much less extreme temptations to misperceive and not to accept them falsely as justifications for anger. Whoa. <laughs> Thank Big you, Sandra. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm glad you were there for that. Um, is there another new reader then for 9 and 10? Okay, back to you, Lemoyne. We have said before, as you teach, so shall you learn. If you react as if you are persecuted, you are teaching persecution. This is not a lesson which the sons of God should want to teach if they are to realize their own salvation. Rather, teach your own perfect immunity, which is the truth in you, and know that it cannot be assailed. Do not protect it yourselves, for you have believed that it is assailable. You are not asked to be crucified, which was part of my own teaching contribution. You are merely asked to follow my example in the face of much less extreme temptations to misperceive, and not to accept them falsely as just for anger. There can be no justification for the unjustifiable. Do not believe there is and do not teach that there is. Remember always that what you believe you will, you will teach. Remember always that what you believe you will teach. Believe with me and we will become equal as teachers. Your resurrection is your reawakening. I am the model for rebirth, but rebirth itself is merely the dawning on your mind of what is already in them. God placed it there himself, and so it is true forever. I believed in it and therefore made it forever true for me. Help me to teach it to our brothers in the name of the kingdom of God. But, but first, believe that it is true for you, or you will teach a myth. Thank you, Lemoyne. I'm Robin Marie. Ten. There can be no justification for the unjustifiable. Do not believe there is and do not teach that there is. Remember always that what you believe you will teach. Believe with me and we will become equal as teachers. Your resurrection is your reawakening. I am the model for rebirth, but rebirth itself is merely the dawning on your minds of what is already in them. God placed it there himself, and so it is true forever. I believed in it and therefore made it 
forever true for me. Help me to teach it to our brothers in the name of the kingdom of God. But first believe that it is true for you, or you will teach amiss. 11. My brother slept during the so-called, quote, agony in the garden, unquote. But I could not be angry with them because I had learned I could not be abandoned. Peter swore he would never deny me, but he did so three times. He did offer to defend me with the sword, which I naturally refused, not being at all in need of bodily protection. I am sorry when my brothers do not share my decision to hear only one voice, because it weakens them as teachers and as learners. Yet I know that they cannot really betray themselves or me, and that it is still on them that I must build my church. Thank you, Robert Marie. Uh, and Judy. Thank you, Lori. Twelve. Oh, wait, eleven. My brother slept during the so-called, quote, agony in the garden, but I could not be angry with them because I had learned I could not be abandoned. Peter swore he would never deny me, but he did so three times. He did offer to defend me with the sword, which I naturally refused, not being at all in need of bodily protection. I am sorry when my brothers do not share my decision to hear only one voice, because it weakens them as teachers and as learners. Yet I know that they cannot really betray themselves or me, and that it is still on them that I must build my church. There is no choice in this, because only you can be the foundation of God's church. A church is where an altar is, and the presence presence of the altar is what makes it a church. A church is where, the, where an altar is, and the presence of the altar is what makes it a church. Any church which does not inspire love has a hidden altar which is not serving the purpose for which God intended it. I must found capital His Church on you because you who accept me as a model, are literally my disciples. Disciples are followers, but if the model they follow has chosen to save them pain in all respects, they are probably unwise not to follow him. Thank you, Judy. Sounded funny. Did I read it right? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. And Jessica. Twelve. There is no ch- there's no choice in this, 
because only you, should I read the sentence before? Let's see. Um, Yet I know that they cannot really betray themselves or me and that it is still on them that I must build my church. There is no choice in this because only you can be the foundation of God's church. A church is where an altar is, and the presence of the altar is what makes it a church. Any church which does not inspire love has a hidden altar, which is not serving the purpose for which God intended it. I must found his church on you because you who accept me as a model are literally my disciples. Disciples are followers, but if the model they follow has chosen to save them pain in all respects, they are probably unwise not to follow him. I elected both for you, your sake and mine to demonstrate that the most outrageous assault as judged by the ego did not matter. As the world judges these things, but not as God knows them, I was betrayed, abandoned, beaten, torn, and finally killed. It was perfectly clear that this was only because of the projection of others, because I had not harmed anyone and had healed many. We are still equal as learners, even though we need not have equal experiences. The Holy Spirit is glad when you can learn enough from mind to be reawakened by them. That was their only purpose, and that is the only way in which I can be perceived as the way, the truth, and the light. Amen. Yes, thank you, Jessica. Hi, Karen. Thirteen. I elected both for your sake and mine to demonstrate that the most outrageous assault as judged by the ego did not matter. As the world judges these things, but not as God knows them, I was betrayed, abandoned, beaten, torn, and finally killed. It was perfectly clear that this was only because of the projection of others. Because I had not harmed anyone and had healed many. We are still equal as learners, even though we need not have equal experiences. The Holy Spirit is glad when you can learn enough from mine to be reawakened by them. That is their only purpose, and that is the only way in which I can be perceived as the way, the truth, and the light. Fourteen, when you hear only one voice, you are never called on to sacrifice. On the contrary, by enabling yourself to hear the Holy Spirit in others, you can learn from their experiences and gain from them without experiencing them yourselves. That is because the Holy Spirit is one, and anyone who listens is inevitably led to demonstrate 
his way for all. You are not persecuted, nor was I. You are not asked to repeat my experiences because the Holy Spirit, whom we share, makes this unnecessary. To use my experiences constructively, however, you must still follow my example in how to perceive them. Thank you, Karen. And Diana. Number five. When you hear only one voice, you are never called on to sacrifice. On the contrary, by enabling yourself to hear the Holy Spirit and others, you can learn from their experiences and gain from them without experiencing them yourself. That is because the Holy Spirit is one, and anyone who listens is inevitably led to demonstrate his way for all. You are not persecuted, nor was I. You are not asked to repeat my experiences, because the Holy Spirit, whom we share, makes this unnecessary. To use my experiences constructively, however, you must still follow my example and how to perceive them. 15. My brothers and yours are constantly engaged in justifying the unjustifiable. My one lesson, which I must teach as I learned, is that no perception which is out of accord with the judgment of the Holy Spirit can be justified. I undertook to show this um, was, repeat that please, I understood to show this was true in a very extreme case merely because it would serve as a good teaching aid to those whose temptation to give into anger and assault would not be so extreme. I will with God that none of his sons should suffer. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Uh, And Lana. Uh, Fifteen. My brother. I just wondered, honey, if... And rather than just 15, 16, if you'd also read 17, or, yeah, 17, 18. All the way through 18, please. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Okay. Uh, 15. Mm -hmm. My brothers and yours are constantly engaged in justifying the unjustifiable. My one lesson which I must teach as I learned, is that no perception which is out of accord with the judgment of the Holy Spirit can be justified. I undertook to show this was true in a very extreme case, merely because it would serve as a good teaching aid to those whose temptations to give in to anger and assault would not be so extreme. I will 
with God that none of his sons should suffer. 16. Remember that the Holy Spirit is the communication link between God the Father and his separated sons. If you will listen to his voice, you will know that you cannot either hurt or be hurt and that many need your blessing to help hear help them hear this for themselves when you perceive only this in them and do not respond to any other you will have learned of me and will be as eager to share your learning as I am the crucifixion cannot be shared because it is the symbol of projection but the resurrection is the symbol of sharing because the reawakening of every son of God is necessary to enable the sonship to know its wholeness only this is knowledge 17 the message of the crucifixion is very simple and perfectly clear teach only love for that is what you are thank you Lana and um would there be another reader to read 16 through 18? Sandra? Um, I think, Sandra, did, do you have access to 16 through 18? <laughs> you had it right. I passed. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Well, I'd love to then. <clears throat> Remember that the Holy Spirit is the communication link between God the Father and his separated sons. If you will listen to his voice, you will know that you cannot either hurt or be hurt, and that many need your blessing to help them hear this for themselves. When you perceive only this need in them and do not respond to any other, you will have learned of me and will be as eager to share your learning as I am the crucifixion cannot be shared because it is the symbol of projection but the resurrection is the symbol of sharing because the reawakening of every son of God is necessary to enable the sonship to know its wholeness only this is knowledge the message of the crucifixion is very simple and perfectly clear teach only love for that is what you are and we'll stop there for today um, thank you everyone for lending your voices and um, your hearts and minds to this reading and um, Judy's volunteered to lead our lesson reflection this morning so Judy will turn to you uh, with our gratitude for um, 
giving us these words so our hearts can be open to hear. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Lori. I'll do my best imitation. Her channel friend this morning. <laughs> God love her. I'm sure she's with us. Lesson 60. These ideas are for today's review. We'll read each lesson and pause for a moment in between and then go on to the next. And then we'll read the titles for all the lessons and meditate for a few minutes on their totality of the thought system to which they bring us. These are the ideas for today's review. God is the love in which I forgive. God does not forgive because he has never condemned. The blameless cannot blame, and those who have accepted their innocence see nothing to forgive. Yet forgiveness is the means by which I will recognize my innocence. It is the reflection of God's love on earth. It will bring me near enough to heaven that the love of God can reach down to me and raise me to my home. God is the love in which I forgive. God is the strength in which I trust. It is not my own strength through which I forgive. It is through the strength of God in me, which I am remembering as I forgive. As I begin to see, I recognize his reflection on earth. I forgive all things because I feel the stirring of his strength in me. And I begin to remember the capital love I chose to forget, but which has not forgotten me. God is the strength in which I trust.
There is nothing to fear. How safe the world will look to me when I can see it. It will not look anything like what I imagine I see now. Everyone and everything I see will lean toward me to bless me, and I will recognize in everyone my dearest capital friend. What could there be to fear in a world which I have forgiven and which has forgiven me? There is nothing to fear. God's voice speaks to me all through the day. There is not a moment in which God's voice ceases to call on my forgiveness to save me. There is not a moment in which his voice fails to direct my thoughts, guide my actions, and lead my feet. I am walking steadily on toward truth. There is nowhere else I can go because God's voice is the only voice and the only guide that has been given to his son. God's voice speaks to me all through the day. And I am sustained by the love of God. As I listen to God's voice, I am sustained by his love. As I open my eyes, his love lights up the world for me to see. As I forgive, his love reminds me that his son is sinless. And as I look upon the world, With the vision he has given me, I remember that I am his son. I am sustained by the love of God.
God is the love in which I forgive. God is the strength in which I trust. There is nothing to fear. God's voice speaks to me all through the day. I am sustained by the love of God. Lesson 60. One more time for the immeasurable, the capital immeasurable. God is the love in which I forgive. God is the strength in which I trust. There is nothing to fear. God's voice speaks to me all through the day. I am sustained by the love of God. Amen. Thank you. And so it is. Thank you, Judy. That was great, Judy. Thanks. This is Sandra. And, um, I have a miracle. 
I want to share it. <laughs> I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning and I was grateful for my life. In the past years, I have not been grateful for my life. It's been one trial and tribulation, health issues, everything. And I went back into my uh, habitual mode, which I had worked really, really hard in previous years to, to heal, which was the victimization. And interestingly enough, I was born on Easter Sunday. <laughs> and I have taken on the role of scapegoat. I don't know why. I mean, it, uh, but I sometimes think that everything is predestined. So, And, um, you know, listening to this reading and to the lessons, I don't, ha- I don't have to do anything except be fixated on God and God's truth, and God's truth, because I, if I can't do it or if I'm failing, I can just turn it over to my Holy Spirit. And, and I, everything that I'm hearing this morning is saying that this is part of an evolutionary process. Jesus was over 2,000 years ago. He's just getting his church together now. And what he was teaching me was that I cannot judge the darkness. The darkness is part of the creative process. It's the part that we can call it evil or we can call it evolve. It's the part that's evolving. And it needs, and if I judge it, it won't evolve. It'll stay stuck. And if I judge myself for judging, I won't evolve. I will stay stuck. So the first thing I had to to do was to include my own darkness, my own experience. And in the world's view, I'm a victim. In the world's view, I am a victim. There's, you know, (laughs) but but I, I can't take that on. I can't identify and take that personally. It's not personal. It's just part of the evolutionary process. And those who victimize me, I don't think they thought they were victimizing me. I think they thought they were doing the right thing. Um, Or they didn't have tools. And I know that there's been people around me who have probably felt victimized because I didn't have the tools. And I have to live with that which is why I'm so motivated to get the tools and to heal. I'm the only one who can do this. Nobody can heal me except for God. But I have to but I have to make the decision to fixate on God and make God my number one healing asset and not take anything personally and just to know that it's all working together for my highest and best, for the world's highest and best, for everybody's highest and best. And because I understand what self-love is, if something isn't working out for me, I don't have to judge it. I don't have to call it even dark. I can go and, and say, okay, I'm letting this go. It's not working for me. And trust that the universe will bring me what will work for me. And if not, then I seek not outside myself. I just seek my relationship with God and with myself. 
and eventually something will show up or maybe it won't. Maybe that's the path for me is to is to just seek God, period. That's it. God is the love in which I trust. God is the faith in in which I forgive, you know. Just it's just like I can't do this without God. And I am I'm just so grateful because I looked at my life and I went, Oh my God, I've had a great life. And yeah, there's darkness in there, but once I started to include it, like it, I didn't judge it anymore. I just thought, this is just part of the evolutionary process. This is why I came here to this planet, was to evolve into what I was meant to be, what we're all meant to be. We're meant to be the church. And it's not about proselytizing or anything it's about being it i'm complete oh sandra i'm so happy to hear all that that just that just lights me up today thank you so much that was really wonderful sandra i'm so yeah you really shared that thank you Yes, Sandra, that was, I felt every bit of love that was behind every word. Oh, thank you, Sandra. That was just glorious. Thank you. (laughs) Such a wonderful share. Thank you very much. You sound inspired, and I'm reminded of our spiritual immunity, our spiritual immunity that we're fixed in God. Thank you, Sandra. Well, I have to say thank you all. Once I started to include the darkness and include my own darkness, my, I have, I have, I'm feeling better today physically than I have in, in, in months, months and months and months. So there's definitely a connection. I'm complete. And this certainly is. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. I'm very glad to hear that, too. Thank you. Good morning, it's Karen. Um, Robin Marie, do you want to talk and say something before you go to work? Um, I'll go after you. Sure. Thank you so much, everybody. <laughs> I can't talk, Sandra. I, I love that. Thank you so much. I don't have any other ideas. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. We love to hear your voice. <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you, Robin Marie. Um, I was going to say spiritual immunity. Is it spiritual immunity? Perfect immunity. I think it was in the text reading, perfect immunity. Because God goes with me wherever I go, because God is the love in which I forgive. God is the truth, my strength. God is, uh, there's nothing to fear. I am sustained by the love of God. I think all 10 of the lessons from yesterday where God goes with me wherever I go, they're really just one lesson. You know, God is in me. God is with me. 
when God is with me and I know who I am, there's no, there's nothing to fear. Um, so I was studying the reading before, uh, before Reverend Pam's call and everything early, early this morning. And I was a little like, oh, this is just psychobabble because, you know, crucifixion is crucifixion. But if you're not identified with the body, it doesn't matter what happens to the body. And the body is corruptible or destructible, and therefore it's not real. But when you feel the body or you feel your emotions, it it sort of like felt like I had to tie myself in a knot to pretend that this wouldn't, you know, crucifixion is nothing. But after the reading today and after the meditation just now, just the answer, the voice for God was very loud, and it just said, um, persecution and crucifixion are judgments my mind makes. However anything is going down on the physical plane, you know, whether I have a physical malady, for instance, or an illness, it can be, you know, suffering or it can be what it is, you know, without the judgments laid upon it, without without my ego making it, you know, unbearable. So crucifixion and persecution are in my mind. And I was just when I was in India, you know, sexual abuse survivor, right? That's my, my uh, ego's uh, victimhood pa- uh, persona. Everywhere I went, people were touching me. And, of course, there is no personal space in India. It's just not a thing. But even the swamis would lean their bodies against you if you were up in a line and they were at the front of the line. And to me, it was like excruciating, excruciating persecution constantly. You know, I wanted to buy a pomegranate, and I got in a line at the food stall, and like 10 people swarmed around me, and everybody is touching you. And at that particular time, and that, that was kind of like the big thing that was in my mind that was coming up. But it's just, it's just a judgment. It's just an identification with not wanting what was happening to be happening. You know, persecution and crucifixion. I think it would be hard to be crucified and, and not to feel identified with the body. But I know at a certain level, when we're in our Christ self, the body won't be there at all. And anything can be done to it, and it won't matter. But it feels like that's not where I'm at right now. The body still feels uh, like it has the ability to be felt, you know, more so. Anyway, thank you for letting me share. I'm complete. Oh, thank you for that incredible distinction, um, uh, Karen. That was just great. Thank you, Karen. Uh, it, yeah, I really, I really understood what you were saying, <laughs> of course, and because um, you said it so well, and I can relate to it so much. It's it's all about letting go of perception and judgment. And it's just such a beautiful example. I love when we read about the crucifixion because 
you know, the world in general um, thinks of it as this horrible injustice. And what Jesus is telling us is that it's actually, he's teaching us who we really are. And I, I love that. Um, he was such a perfect example of who we really are and who I want to step into being to the point where, you know, when little things happen or medium things, nothing like the crucifixion, but, you know, medium, uncomfortable, quote, unquote, painful things, I want to be dissociated from my body. You know, as an ex-therapist, dissociation was always, you know, something that was thought of as not healthy. You know, oh, people dissociate when they're being sexually abused, which actually is a really great strategy. But, um, yeah, exactly. It's a great strategy. So if I have to go for a medical treatment or get stuck with needles, which happens to me once a month, um, and it's like, you know, I have learned how to really relax, and so it's less uncomfortable. I've learned how to be in a place of love toward the people who may or may not be doing or saying things exactly the way I used to think they should. But now I have the additional tool of, of acknowledging and stepping into the fact that this thing that's being stuck or whatever is happening to this thing, this body, isn't me. It's not me. Uh, I mean, I have previously done a lot of sort of course um, reminders during these procedures or whatever where, you know, I think about God, I think about Jesus, I think about I am not a body. But I feel like I'm getting more and more into the truth of that and more able to actually feel it. And thank you, Lana, because Lana has been a great teacher for this over many years um, in terms of uh, dissociating from pain and, and not and not taking it on as a as a punishment, you know, which is what the world tells us. Well, this is happening to you. It's karma. <laughs> um, anyway, um, that's a long share, but thank you so much, all of you. And thank you, Lori, for being such a fantastic listener. It's quite amazing. I'm complete. Oh, God bless you, Jessica. That was a beautiful share. And a beautiful Thank example. Thank you. Thank you, and Jessica. Great, great gratitude to Lori for being such a great listener. Thank you, Jessica. Ina, this is Lana. Good morning, everyone. As I read this section, I'm reminded that... Um, you know, some you know, Jesus says he wants to teach us to teach us to teach and learn as he learned and taught and teaches and learns and it can get pretty circular. Um but I, I think part of at least for me, my issue, um, over the years has been 
learning to, um, and part of the delay in learning has been about um, the importance I've placed about I placed on the body, um, and uh, there's a there's a line in the course I don't remember exactly where it is where Jesus says the insignificance of the body must become an acceptable idea. Um, he, you know, I go, and I've also have learned that love is always the remedy for everything. No matter what it is, love's the remedy. Love's the not enemy. Love's the remedy, not the enemy, of um, any situation or emotion or anything that appears unloving. I, you know, I found that love is the remedy, and it's. And even evil, you know, one of the great lines about the crucifixion is where Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He's not judging them. He's doing the opposite of judging them. He's showing them compassion and love for uh, their ignorance of truth. Um, that's all that's happened. You know, it's, it's in our ignorance of truth in our um, forgetfulness um, we just have forgotten who we are and we're coming to remember again and in that remembrance is everything restored um, our sanity it's our salvation our inner peace our love for our brothers and ourselves and for God um, it's um, you know that's that's the atonement and um, it's the remembering it's not even a learning it's it's a remembering because he reminds me right here in this section that it's all within me you know and part of the infinite infinite mind of God there's nothing that is lacking within me yet whenever I place my humanity as being more important than my eternal spiritual nature I'm going to become confused and um, and possibly make an idol out of something that um, could distract me from love's awareness and love's presence and in my reality and my brother's reality uh, it's not bad it's not evil I don't see anything bad or evil about my body. I think it is always calling for love, though, especially in recent years. It's called, there's out, just love me, love me some more, love me some more, love this one some more, love, you know, it's, it's, it's not that, um, it's, um, unimportant or unreal but it's you know and of course of love goes into this even deeper it's about my relationship with everything that I see that I perceive that I experience that I'm witness to you know I have to ask myself what is my relationship to it because as long as I have a loving relationship it is holy it becomes holy in my experience and that's a peaceful experience and a beautiful experience and what God intends for me 
um, as a child of God. So anyhow, I'm babbling now, but um, like all the other readings, um, I can pick out any one section of any chapter and find the totality of the truth within it. You know, it's it's just amazing how miraculous that is, that um, every part of the truth is the whole of the truth. Um, so I'm complete. Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you, Lana. That was a beautiful share. Yeah, thank you, Lana. And it is it's quite an amazing miracle that he can do that. Every single yeah. section is the whole thing. And I think he even says that somewhere. Anyway. It does. Thanks. Oh, I'm sure he does. <laughs> yeah, thank you, mm-hmm. Jessica. Thank you, Lana. I wonder who we haven't heard from this morning. Kind of an intimate group today. Feels like a campfire to me. I like that analogy, Laurie. Pass mm-hmm. the marshmallows or the s'mores. <laughs> the, the warmth of the fire, the warmth of the love, the squishiness of it. the marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm um I'm actually thinking about um the what am I? And uh, I think I better just turn to it because um, it says pretty explicitly exactly what I want to say this this morning. Um, let's see. I go to the workbook, part two. It's going to be right there, I think. There's a line in there that's not found anywhere else in the entire book. Uh, It contains the word consummate. And when I think of that word, uh, consummate, it brings to mind uh, a level of completion um, the ultimate level of completion. It's in paragraph four of what, I, what am I? And it says, ours are the eyes 
through which Christ's vision sees worlds redeemed from every thought of sin. Ours are the ears that hear the voice of God proclaim the world as sinless. Ours are the minds which join together as we bless the world. And from the oneness that we have attained, we call to all our brothers, asking them to share our peace and consummate our joy. And, and I was thinking, um, thinking about that in relation to um, the completion of joy, you know. And uh, and all those years ago, uh, when by surprise I heard myself say, "I'm home," uh, it dawned after that moment that. I can't be home if everyone isn't home with me, you know. And so every morning when we uh, gather and read these words and reveal how they speak to us and, and, and have changed us uh, by their truth, we're strengthening each other. And um, I had a talk yesterday with someone called me, uh, just kind of out of the blue, and I had a moment when they were feeling really left out. And I remember thinking that's just um, that's just something that I can be grateful for that someone calls to say that to me so that I can reassure that person that, no, the act of calling me means you're not alone and giving me an opportunity to tell you that you're not alone strengthens me, you know. And um, and and how every morning when we dial this number and share how we're touched, you know, I used to think it's a little bit like the game of the blind man and the elephant. You know, um, I'll, I'll say it's this and someone will say it's that. And, and after we do it for a while, we get the notion of exactly what this is that we're sharing and how what this is is actually what we are. And without the opportunity to share it, we wouldn't know that that's what we are. And so every morning, getting out of bed and dialing this number, I, I you know, I said to Christ mine this morning, I woke up at 2.30, and, and, uh, and I really wanted to go back to sleep, but I couldn't, so I got up at 3.30. And I, I said to Jesus, okay, Okay, tell me, tell me what I'm willing to say or do anything. <laughs> I listened and listened and listened, and there was no to say or to do. There was only a to notice. Only a to notice how he is so very with us in our shares how 
He directs our thoughts, guides our actions, leads our feet, going steadily home. And that home isn't complete until we have called to everyone to join us, you know, to consummate our joy. I mean, I can't tell you, Sandra, how over the moon I was to hear your share today. It just um, honestly lit me up. And um, that's a small measure of what forgiveness does, you know, um, but it just gets bigger and bigger as um, everyone comes home, you know. So anyway, uh, that's what I have to share today, the joy of the campfire and, uh, and my gratitude for it and for everyone who shares and and uh, reveals a little bit of what this is like. Uh, every single bit of it strengthens me, and I'm so grateful, so very grateful. And Lemoyne, I'm so very grateful for you for the talk that we had about this yesterday and, and this morning. And uh, I'm going to appeal to see if there's something you'd like to offer here before we end the recording. Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Laurie. Thank you so much. Very beautiful. Thank you. I'd like to hear Lamorne, too. Yeah, thank you, Laurie. Yeah, when you're done, I'd like to share something as well. Thank you. Okay, there. Um, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. I think for me right now, it's like it's, it almost. Um, Uh, I guess that, I can start with what I told you, Lori, that uh, when I first kind of returned to Course in Miracles after, you know, struggling with it and not really, and recognizing there's something there that I want and something I want, but it's kind of going over my head or whatever. Like, oh, it seems to be this is for perfect people or something. And uh, and then I went spent a lot of time with the course of love, and I thought, and I was directed to this call, and and all of a sudden the course of miracles looked very different. And I remember going through it just the, the first time, you know, about this time it must have been about this time. <laughs> Of year, a few years ago, that this this message of the crucifixion was one of the first things that really just sank and rang like a bell. I mean, this is those are words. These are words you can live by. You know, teach only love, for that is what you are. 
And uh, it is, you know, to use it very clear, the motivation <coughs> for the course is inner peace. You know, we don't like the world we built. <laughs> we want them a better way, and uh, one that just let us be, let us be. Yeah. And uh, you know, the this distinction peace doesn't have to be distinguished from anything. It's just what is that this is this is the goal, but the. Uh, the method is learning, you know, who we are. <clears throat> and then here is, actually it's not, I shouldn't say it's the method, but the, this this is an expression of the means, of how to apply what the Course is intended, to restore us to inner peace by learning who we are, and teaching and learning are like giving and receiving. They are actually accomplished when they're one. And, uh, yeah, so just that message of the crucifixion. Teach only love, for that is what you are. is very different than most interpretations of the crucifixion. But to me, it makes perfect sense. This is the way, um, you know, what <clears throat> what looks really horrible is that could actually be seen as a, a pretty amazing gift, very extreme example. But it's an example, you know, when he says, follow me, it's not, <laughs> he's talking away from the cross, <laughs> not towards it. And uh, I think that's an important, important thing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, well, like we still have some time. There's there's something that's like I uh, I struggle with the with the word evolution sometimes, but you know, hey, I maybe I learned something today <laughs> that you know evolution's a word, it's a symbol. It's usually, I think, you know, I, I think it's quite often misunderstood. Even what Darwin tried to say, and so the common picture. It, it is all about the form, but you know words are symbols that need specific reference or make them useful. Um, but one thing occurred to me while I was thinking about the evolution, instead of just pushing it out of my mind, out the bad label, was to say um, <laughs> Lamarckian evolution occurred to me. The inheritance which is the inheritance of acquired characteristics. And, uh, and you know, there's some evidence for some of this going on as well, but I think really this the evolution 
spoken of earlier uh, is it, it's actually referenced in one of those central sections, the reinterpretation of defense. The evolution of man is merely a process by which he proceeds from one degree to the next. He corrects his previous missteps by stepping forward. This represents a process which is actually incomprehensible in temporal terms because he returns as he goes forward. And uh, I, I see the evolution here. It uses the same words as Lamarckian evolution, but it does a very different thing. It is the acquisition of inherited characteristics. It is the evolution that's required. You know, it makes perfect sense coming out of a thought system which is ill-founded and upside down and doesn't produce <coughs> what we want or a proper expression of who we are. So, it's uh, <laughs> a bit something I learned today. There is a way in which to describe all this as evolution. Even though, but it's, you know, the moving forward is to return. Is actually in return. And this is why it's probably so easily missed by the world who wants to always move forward to something better built on the past. Well, that was helpful. <laughs> kind of did something for me, so I'm not judging evolution. And, you know, and I will agree that there is this thing of, thing of including the dark. I mean, this is, this is how I believe it really can work very easily, is that if we center on the light, the, the unity, the single purpose, if that's where we are, then when the darkness approaches, it's very naturally shined away. And, you know, we don't have to seek for it, don't have to search it down, and fighting it and makes it stronger. And things are only held in darkness because they're held away from the light. So being the light, there's no fear. And all those dark things, dark happenings of the past or <clears throat> in uh, what we imagine we see um, can be uh, purified in the light and leave us only with the blessed residue earlier in this chapter. Anyway, I'm complete. Thank you. Good morning. I just love you. Love what you just said about the light and the darkness. And I wanted to just say that you were saying that as we go forward, we're really going back, and it's like we're going back to our eternal fixation, the truth of what we are with every step forward towards God. I'm complete. Thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you. That was so excellent. Yes, it was. Nice summary, yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank Very you, Lemoyne. Yeah, Lemoyne, so, yeah, thank you, Lemoyne. 
I really I liked the whole con the the image of going forward as you go back. It really brings me to my favorite symbol, which is the spiral, which obviously many yeah. people love because it's such a natural and true depiction of so many things, including our spiritual growth and our oneness. Thank you so much. Yeah, Lemoyne, thank you. You really made light and dark dynamic beautifully. Thank you. Any final shares from anyone? I would just add um, that I love Judy's statement about going back to our original factory setting. So we're evolving so we can go back to our original factory setting. <laughs> I'm complete. Yes, indeed. Hi. I know. I love that, too. I love that, too. You found it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's what I think of as the um, eternal fixation is our set point, just our original setting. We could we could get stuck in the ego set points, but we go back to our eternal set point, which is our original factory setting. I'm sorry, Diana. Please come forward. Thank you, Karen. Well, you don't have to be sorry. This is Ida. Good morning. Um, Good morning, Ida. Ah, uh, yeah. It's okay. Um, I got mad at the staff this morning, mad at the people that live here, and mad at the whole situation. And But even just being with you guys for a few minutes and just listening to you talk, it's helping me feel better. <laughs> Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Ida. Yes, I am too. Thank you, Ida. You know, I just wanted to say something really quickly because it was such a miracle for me. Um, Jesus touches on it in the reading today and um, this idea of um, attack and... um, and I learned, and I think it was through Facebook that I learned this. The, uh, in I don't know when sharing the love of God um, transformed from a defense of truth, you know, because Jesus tells us in so many ways that the truth needs no defense. But whenever I find that I'm defending something, that is a form of attack because um, I I wouldn't need to to defend something that I did not feel was being attacked and um, but there was this I don't know when it happened but um, when I I really got that I didn't need to defend anything I just needed to share God's love and and it's it's funny that um, it was like all investment in the idea of being right just left me. Um, I didn't need to be right about anything, but I had a 
of that fixation, <laughs> that uh, compulsion um, to share the truth, uh, to strengthen it. Um, hopefully, I know it's strengthened within myself and hopefully strengthened within others, but not as a way of of saying what I share is right and what someone else shares is wrong. That has nothing to do with it. Um, uh, I mean, it, it just leads our awareness. When, when we're in that place of love, there's nothing else to do but share it um, and give it away. Uh, there's no need to acquire it uh, because uh, it, there's a certainty that, um, that it's whole and complete within all of us. And, um, and, and Jesus' words today, teach only love, for that is what, I, what you are. That becomes not just a spiritual concept or abstraction. It really becomes a, a lived truth um, to know, you know, Lemoyne was talking about our motivation, and Jesus tells us that, yes, our motivation is, um, is inner peace for doing this course and uh, the goal is always know thyself and the means is forgiveness so he gives us those three guideposts um, whenever I have the thought I'm wondering why am I here and why am I doing this <laughs> you know I have I have my motivation my goal and the means for attaining it all wrapped up in in, um, in Jesus' teachings and um, and just have that inner knowing that truth is true. That's all that's necessary. I don't need to defend it. I don't need to... Um, even teaching becomes a kind of an obsolete idea because I it's in the sharing it um, which kind of validates it's in... It's in us all. You know, we all share it. We all share the same beautiful truth of who we are. Um, so anyhow, um, I'm complete. They just kind of, thoughts just pop into my mind, and I'm given uh, the desire to share it. So I'm complete. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lana. I'm raising my hand. This is Diana, and I just have a, a, just a quick, quick something to say. Um, my my daughter and I, before she left for her trip um, to Italy, we were talking about books, and and the subject matter that came up. I said, hey, Melissa, if you've never read the book Dying to Be Me, you need to pick that up." And the book came in. She was gone. It was going to her mail, and. I opened to a page, and it was when here's a woman that was persecuted throughout her life, being an Indian, not not holding up to her perceived perception of what an Indian woman should do with her life and who she would be according to their traditions. She fought that. She was an artist. She had a different vision. But there was a lot of persecution in how she should be that upsetted her personal identity and she tried to be that until she couldn't be that anymore and and um 
you know, I, I opened up the book to a page when she had transcended out of her body, but she wasn't, she didn't completely make that decision to transcend and never come back. And she felt the spirit and this essence of love, this beautiful love, and she felt the spirit of her father by her. And she said, Dad, Dad, Father, um, I, I feel like I'm home. This feels so good. There's so much love here. And she felt the sense of her friend there with her too. And her father said, darling, if you make this decision, you can never come back. But look down. Her mother was crying at her feet. Her, father, her husband was distraught. You know, there is, there is so much more that you can do if you go back. But this is your decision to make. You know, but she said, Dad, but I feel like I'm home. And he said to her, darling, you've always been home. And I broke out again in tears because it's true. We punish ourselves. We persecute ourselves. We crucify ourselves thinking we have, you know, we're not enough or, or we need to do more or, you know, we're not falling in line to the simple truth that we are loved. And if we can begin there and stand in that for ourselves, then, oh, my God, the world will wakes up around us for us to see and be a part of again, you know? We had the opportunity to be Christ's vision with Holy Spirit's help, which was what the lesson was telling us today, to be that right now, right here, and nothing more. Um, Because then we're back to the crucifixion and judgment if we see anything outside the line of love. And I just wanted to share that. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Diana. Powerful stuff. Yes. Thank you, Diana. I just like Um, to say, um, I, I, you know, every time anybody used the word love, I was like, my head would spin around (laughs) because it's like love. What the heck is that? And now I just use the word inclusion. I used to judge and then have to turn it over to the Holy Spirit. Now when I see something that I, or hear or experience something that I think might be amiss or something that I don't really want, I'm asking myself, can I include this? As soon as I ask that question, it wakes me right up. I'm complete. Oh, that's beautiful, Sandra. It reminds me of yeah. um seeing- that one uh, little instruction from St. Augustine when he said, love and do what you want. <laughs> you know, because he knew anything born of love would result in appropriate behavior and appropriate thought and and just appropriate everything. <laughs> I'm complete. Thank Hi, you, Sandra. Karen again. I was... Uh, Wanted to to sort of get back to the introduction and the reading this morning, and I feel I felt like it was tied to the idea of darkness. Um, so the reading said, "Anger is never justified. Anger is never justified." And I don't have my book in front of me, but there were three things that you know we feel angry, and then we feel it's justified because. We've been attacked, and I was dealing with 
with a person who's attacked me over and over and over. And I was feeling like, I want to take this. I want to make this my own. I really want to own it. Like, I don't want to feel separate from this person. I think it says anger is always separation. It always shoots you into separation. And it, and we justify it because we attack back because we were attacked. But... um. I think it's an art form that the Course is trying to teach us, that there are hidden things that need to be given to the light, which is our darknesses, our hidden darknesses. But when they come up, if we confuse ourselves and think it's about the external circumstance, if we think it's something in the present moment that's happening, then it doesn't get purified. We're still in the illusion. But if we, if we recognize, oh, it's anger, I don't want it, this belongs to the ego, the false self-reality, uh, my anger wants to justify it. There's no question. But I know the Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me, wants to know that this is a call for love if somebody is attacking me. That's all it is, a call for love from a beloved, from a beloved, and I in a former spiritual community once upon a time, there was a woman who really didn't like me. She was really jealous of my relationship to the teacher. And I used to look at her and I used to keep saying, this is God's beloved. This is God's beloved. And I kept trying to, um, to align to the truth. I don't really know how to let the anger come up and let it out and you know of course there's an impulse to judge it which I love Sandra share about not not going that way because I really do believe things come up to be purified but if we have such an aversion to the darkness or if we're afraid of the darkness it can't come through us and can't be released can't be undone but but we can't endorse it and when it's emotionally charged, it's really hard not to endorse it. I mean, it just seems like it's very tricky. In Buddhism, they say you have to have skillful means, you know, to to hold the feeling and not identify with it, but allow it to move through you without suppressing it or denying it. Um, anyway, I think that's what the beginning of the text reading this morning was pointing us to, you know, anger is never justified. It's always a reason for, for separation. But it still has to be purified. And praise God, if we, if we can open and know it's not real, a light can transform it. I think that's what it means. And I'm open to, you know, Lori, if you want to weigh in on whether I got it right, I'm complete. Thank you, Karen. I'm I'm sorry, my mute button isn't functioning very well. Um, I love your expression. This is God's beloved, and it reminded me um, of an earlier section of the book where he said, "I will substitute." for your body and your ego so that you don't have to be concerned about them. 
but never for your mind. And when I think of that, I think of that as, um, as you said, uh, he's going to give me guidance uh, when I recognize that my thinking is not in alignment with truth. It's my part to recognize and be willing to um, realign my thinking. That's my part. Uh, and my willingness is what will take me there because Christ is substituting for my body and my ego so that I don't have to be concerned about protecting myself. You know, it's that thing uh, where I think I'm going to lose something if I um, accept behavior that I find unacceptable. In this reading, he says, God will never ask you to sacrifice anything ever and my mind has to learn that it is not a sacrifice to love that that's actually my joy you know one of the places I was thinking of and in this call today was in chapter 4 where he says the egos um, very selective as to who and what it thinks it's worthy to um, deal with, to participate with, to uh, be with, to consider, has very specific ideas about what and who is worth its time. But the soul has no such, such distinctions at all. In fact, your mind, he says, is naturally abstract. You know, and the abstract mind uh, or the soul is invulnerable. I have to um, unlearn a lot of stuff uh, that I taught myself before I recognize that that's the truth, which is um, the, that's the essence of we go back as uh, we go forward or we go forward only to go back we forget in order to remember better. Um, but when I let Jesus, um, my friend, how, however you view the voice of the Holy Spirit, to me, it's my friend. And when I let my friend assure me that there is no loss but only gain, I have no need to protect my ego from anything. Um, my mind is now free to learn the truth by unlearning. You see, I can take care of your body and your ego. This allows you not to be concerned about them. And now my mind can be taught and remember the truth. So um, the other place I was thinking about ending this call before I go to divine abstraction um, was the model for learning. You know, he says, the mind that was in me is also in you. You can let it change you, just as it changed me. You can let it change you, just as it changed me. That's, that's in the chapter we just finished, in the mind of the atonement. And um, this is the mind 
that's presented in every lesson. There is nothing to fear, for example. There is nothing to fear in a forgiven world, in a world in which my judgments no longer um, conceal its beauty and safety and embrace and holiness. Um, I need to take the hand of my friend and um, join with him in dialogue about everything that frightens me, about everything I think I need, about everything that I don't understand, about everything that um, seems overwhelming sometimes. Um, and in dialogue, he teaches me uh, the truth. And um, and I finally realized that I am sustained by the love of God. Uh, that lesson is such a culmination of um, of everything. Uh, you know, all those years ago when I heard myself say, I am home, uh, exclaiming it with such joy, it seemed foreign to me. And, and I, I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand what home is. I, I mean, I knew it in my heart, in my gut, in, in the beingness of me, but I didn't know what it meant. What does that mean, I am home? He says, he says it all in Lesson 50, 60. <laughs> 60, which is uh, a repeat of 50. As I listen to God's voice, I am sustained by his love. As I open my eyes, his love lights up the world for me to see. As I forgive, which is nothing more than to retract my judgments, his love reminds me that his son of sins. And as I look upon the world with the vision he has given me, I remember that I am his son. Everything about that says home to me. And, um, and I want to say that uh, this is what home is, that I am home. I am the holy home of God himself, his son shining in the reflection of his love. My whole problem was I believed that it was possible to be close to the ego or hostage to God. When in point of fact, we are each the holy home. We are each the holy home of God himself. I'm going to repeat the poem that I opened this call with because it says it so beautifully. When I learn to make Christ's mind manifest, uh, I am just expressing home by letting him be the model for my thinking, the corrector of my beliefs, and 
the love of my life, the captain of my soul. So here's the poem. God speaks to each of us as he makes us, then walks us quietly, silently, out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall. I don't remember this, but I am sent out beyond my recall. Go to the limits of your longing for this home, for this home of God in my heart. Embody me, he says. Flare up like a flame and make big shadows that I can move in. Let everything happen to you. Beauty, terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You all know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Take me as your model for thought, he says, and teach only love, for that is what you are. Amen. Thank you, everyone, um, for making beautiful music together. I surely do uh, love the things that we um, are able to harmonize to. And um, I'll end the recording, but we usually stay on a bit, so...